Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and undoing the programming within us. Let's find your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Great Unlearn. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome on the hilarious J.P. Sears, an Austin brother of mine. You will see J.P. as you've probably never seen him. See, J.P. is hilarious and he puts out incredible YouTube videos. He also has a highly successful podcast. But what a lot of people don't know is that J.P. uses his comedy to do his own inner work. Now, this wasn't always the case. And we get into that in the episode on what turned his what he would call passive aggressive, not really nice humor into something that really showed him the work he needed to do on his ego in his own person. And so I'm grateful for him for sharing as candidly and honestly as he did. He talked about growing up as a child and how the struggles of his mom and dad and how they were constantly together and apart. He felt the weight of trying to keep them together through his comedy. And he did a really good job and was able to hone his craft through these hard times. And so JP is just another example of, are things happening to me or are they happening for me? And I think JP will be the first to say that so many of the things that have happened in his life have happened for him. Like the fact that in school, he didn't do so good. Why? Because he's not very good at learning things that he doesn't give a shit about. Now, when he was 20 years old, he met Paul Check for the first time after learning Paul's system through VHS tapes. Yeah, 20 years ago, JP had his greatest breakthrough on a VHS tape. This shifted his entire mindset in his self-confidence. So we go deep into that. We also talk about his relationship with the Tony Robbins. Yeah, the one and only. He shares some great nuggets. And really, for me, and I know Tony a little bit, but I had no idea the tenderness of this man. And so I think you're really going to appreciate seeing a different side of Tony. So thank you, JP, for sharing all that and so much more. This episode has so much in it. Some great Forrest Gump stuff that I'm still laughing about. So Thanks, JP, for coming on the show, and he did show up in person, and if you didn't see the story on Instagram, we did observe physical distancing uh, with rubber gloves and a solid seven feet between us, and so we did honor that. On to business. You all may have noticed that I've been involved with several Zoom calls lately. This has been my new normal, my way to try to show up in the larger community, The first Zoom call was providing a space, a brotherhood for those who maybe didn't have one or don't have one. And I brought on three of my brothers and we really shared intimately 
the challenges we had in 2008 when we didn't really have each other, though we were friends, and how we've been able to show up for one another in this current situation. It was an amazing call. There were a lot of men on the call that shared, and there were so many that just were there and held space for us. And so I'm grateful for everyone that showed up. On Thursday, I was fortunate enough to get Ryan Frisinger, the guest on episode number 10 of the Great Unlearned podcast, to come on and talk about all things coronavirus, his thoughts about information and misinformation, the context of why this is happening, and maybe what this is an opportunity for, for each of us individually and then as a collective. And so I'm grateful for Ryan and him sharing his knowledge so openly and freely And I think everybody got a lot out of that. That Zoom call is also up on my YouTube channel for all who missed the call or if you saw the call and wanted a refresher, it's there and available. Stay tuned for more. This is going to be kind of the rhythm, hopefully a couple of weeks that I'm going to put out. I'm going to do it in concert with other people, sometimes in a larger group. Just stay tuned. The best way to stay informed is to subscribe to my newsletter at thegreatunlearned.com or in my bio, you can click in my link tree and there's a link to the newsletter. You will be getting a few more emails during the week, just a heads up. But aside from the Sunday newsletter, which has the real content in it, these other ones are just gonna have a little bit of information, some links for you to, to check out and that'll be it. So I somewhat apologize for the frequency of it, but I think in a time like this, it's important to keep everybody abreast of what's going on because there's a lot going on. And I want to be sure, I'd rather have you have too much information than not enough. And if you did sign up for the newsletter and you haven't received it or you didn't receive it recently, check your spam folder. It may have gone there. The best thing to do, make sure you're signed up. And go to your address book and make sure that cal at thegreatunlearned.com is part of your context. If not, because of the way the emails are structured, sometimes if there are images in it, they will shuttle those into the spam folder. So just a little, little tip there. Be sure that I'm part of your address book. And if this is content that you're really digging, share it with others. Don't be greedy. Share with the needy. That's it. Enjoy this episode. I friggin' loved it. It was hilarious, but it was also super deep. And I actually get a little bit ranty in a couple instances. And so some of y'all who've known me for a long time, the old cow came out a little fired up and that kind of felt good. And JP was able to bring me back down. It was beautiful. Um, So anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. Well, I think, you know, I think a lot of times when I have someone on, I like to start with their, you know, their background uh, to give people a little bit of context. But in listening to some of your podcasts that you've been on um, as a guest and you've hosted, your background is is a bit different than most. Um, you speak quite honestly and vulnerably, um, which I think is so interesting because people who don't know you and just see the comedy, um, they don't really see that, they don't see the other side of you. And I think it's, um, as genius as your comedy is, and as much as I love it, I think that the man behind it, you you had this, uh, you put something out on Instagram, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, 
really heartfelt mm-hmm. um, and really a call out to say, listen, you're here for people and you offer, you had this course you're putting out, offered it for free for people as a way. And we're going to talk about that later on in the podcast because I think it's really amazing. But I loved you putting that out so I could recognize, I could show my people who maybe don't see that side of you that this isn't just, you know, a guy who's really funny. Like there's so much more to you and and what we will get into, and I'm going to read this before before we get into your upbringing. This is your bio or part of your bio on your uh, your website. I'm excited to hear my bio. <laughs> and it says, JP, he is a YouTuber, comedian, emotional healing coach, which I just don't think people know, author, speaker, world traveler, and curious student of life. And it didn't say this, but you are yoked as well, which is awesome. <laughs> you hide it really well. I should put that on my bio. Yeah, put that in the bio. Um, and your videos have over 300 million views. So there's a lot there. But I think the part that gets brushed over is this maybe emotional healer, or at least maybe that's just, maybe it doesn't. I mean, you could certainly speak to that. But um, And we'll talk about Paul Check and your relationship mm-hmm. with him. And I love... Um, I love how that's part of your foundation and there's so much beauty in what Paul's medicine is. Um, so anyway, share away. Tell us about your, uh, your upbringing. Yeah, brother. Well, my upbringing. Wow. So I think my upbringing looked similar to a lot of people's and also similar to a lot of people's. There was stuff going on beneath the surface, family secrets, the undercurrent where we weren't a dysfunctional family yet, like all families, we were. So, you know, my, my parents, I, I think a, an instrumental part of my upbringing, I'll just share because instead of sharing the good stuff, let's share the shadowy stuff so we can like dramatize more. Yes, of course. And it seems to be pretty influential. My, my, you know, my parents had their issues amongst other things. They would go through separations starting when I was about seven. Dad would move out and they did that a bunch of times and ended up staying together. But during that time, I didn't know how to let that be a hard time for me. I didn't know how to be scared. I didn't know how to be sad. I didn't know how to be pissed off. Even though looking back, I could say like, yeah, I was deep down inside. I just didn't know it because I didn't know how to allow it. So one of the ways I dealt with my pain, my insecurity was taking care of the family, being the stable one for everybody. And part of how I did that was be the comedian. If I can make mom laugh, if I can make dad laugh, then they're not upset and, you know, afraid the world's going to end and their marriage is falling apart. I can be, you know, I can glue the world together with being funny. So, and my humor was going even before their their challenges. And, and then, of course, that would transfer not only in my family, but to school. Like, it was just a joyful way, a joyful thing I could do, make people laugh, read people, just like almost at an intuitive level, what's that? What what do I need to do, say, to make this person laugh, mm. and then perform it? And my teachers as well. To me, those were the challenges because, like, okay, other students, my family—that's the easy part. But with teachers, here's the fine line where if you go too far, you get in trouble. 
but you got to push the line enough to get the teacher to laugh. So that was, I mean, uh, that was like a master's degree in comedy right there dealing with teachers. So (laughs) along with maybe bringing joy to myself and people around me, uh, comedy is how I dealt with my pain and my insecurities. You know, in the sense of if I can make you laugh, then I feel like I matter to you. And if I feel like I matter to you, then I don't feel shame. I don't feel insecure. I don't feel insignificant. That lasts for about two minutes. Then I got to make you laugh again. And in a way that was a that certainly a dysfunctional compensation, yet I'm so grateful that was my compensation. Like, you know, so many people with the same pain they might turn to drugs, they might turn and all kinds of stuff, but it's like awesome. Comedy is how I dealt with my pain. Well, and it's, I mean, I, I just pictured a young JP carrying the weight of the family and how challenging that must have been. I mean, the comedy um, is a way to kind of, to, to there's a, there's an understanding that you felt the responsibility to do that. And so then when you're in the actual kind of active comedy, it's almost escaping from that carrying that burden. But then when it's over and the laughter stops, it's like, fuck, I got to go do this again. Yeah. Then you're on a treadmill. The, The good news is being on the treadmill of always trying to escape oneself by making people laugh is you got a you get a lot of repetitions of being a comedian. But the bad news is you're running from yourself. So, you know, when I look at anyone with an active, you know, real active sense of humor and like at the level of being a professional comedian, you see one of two types of people. And, I, and I'm talking like adult comedians. You either see a broken person who who makes you feel heavy, even though they are a masterful comedian, or you see a bringer of light who's done their self-work. So, and I do my best to fall into the latter category. So I, I think humor can take you away from yourself or into yourself. And in my childhood, I think my life paradox was I used humor to escape myself. And now I do my best to use humor consciously to go into myself. So now what I do comedy on is typically my own egotistical issues so I can pierce through those membranes to go deeper into myself and know and laugh into my pain rather than laughing away from my pain. Yeah, I totally see that. And I wonder again if that's lost um, on people. First of all, I, I want, before I get to that, I wonder, was there a moment where it just turned for you and you had this awareness, like I have been using this as a kind of coping mechanism. Um, and I love, again, this is is what I've seen through a lot of um, the guests I've had on. They've used these challenging experiences and turned them into a gift. And I think there's so much, I think we're going to get into this later today about what's going on today with the current state of affairs and how we can truly look at this as an opportunity. I mean, it's what you're talking about in your course. And so this is all very much aligned. Um, But I love that you have the awareness. I wonder if there was a time 
when that turn for you and it's like, oh, I've been running. I want to go into myself now. Yeah. There was a moment, and I love that question I, that you asked. I feel like I'm on the therapist's couch. Yeah, like sit down. A, we can move great, over to the couch. I just have to move the cameras. Yeah, that's how well, I wet my pants so I don't want to move. <laughs> um, that, that'll make me feel insecure. <laughs> you know, there was a moment, uh, I was 27. How old are you now? I am 30. I'll be 39 next month. Okay, oh, You're, I'm not. This is not a job interview, so I can ask you your age. Yes, and I identify as a male dolphin. <laughs> You're hired. Thought I would be. Uh, so I was 27 back, you know, about 12 years ago, and at the time I was living in San Diego, California, but I traveled back to Ohio, where I was originally from, to study with one of the most wise people I've ever met. One of my original mentors, still a dear person in my life to this day, a guy named John McMullen. And, and I was there to do in, you know, a, you know, several days worth of self work with John, both one-on-one sessions, workshops with him. And I'll never forget, I wish I would, cause it's not a pleasant memory. Mm. <laughs> he and I were in his office and we went in and grabbed a snack with someone he knew in the office building. And, you know, I'm making jokes, meeting someone new, so I got to make them like me. Make... And John, I, I think it was after that interaction, we're back in his office, and John is just a loving human being, and he is authentic. So he looked at me and said, do you know how passive-aggressive your jokes can be? And yeah, it's like the freaking shame spiral just like and he I mean, he wasn't shaming me but you your know, the, relationship with mentors and stuff like that at that point was not evolved to where it is today yeah it, like I, I looked at him like as a father figure as as i did with all my mentors i think many people can relate to that yet i i think that like it felt like this hot wash of shame coming over me and it wasn't anything he put on me it was me now aware of this shadow it's like it felt that way because it was true and i mean what an awakening where i had no idea up until that point 27 years of my life that at times my jokes could be incredible daggers of misdirected anger very passive aggressive. They could be weasel ways of me trying to say what I'm not man enough to say. And, and that was a very uncomfortable realization delivered to me by an angel. Yet the profundity of it, if that's even a word, was evidenced by the how intense I was feeling in that moment. And and after the the whitewash of shame, it was very humbling. And I, I had never become so self-aware about my humor. And I, and I think it was that moment when I was 27 that I really turned the corner of using my humor to escape myself and escape pain. And like anybody who's trying to escape their own pain at times you're going to be inflicting the hurt onto other people. Yes. Only hurt people hurt people. Mm. Even though everybody's laughing, but it's like, yeah, let's be real. So I turned that corner to using my humor to go into myself, not with perfection. Obviously, I'm still not there, but I 
I became the newborn colt with wobbly legs starting to stumble my way into myself with my humor. Yeah, it's that's beautiful. And I, you know, it took you 27 years. It took me 46 and a half until I kind of had my awakening. So God bless you. Well, I just think I had my awakening. <laughs> Talk to me when I'm 47. I'm like, no, uh, JP 39 was full of shit. That was not awakening. <laughs> well, what, what a few things come up for me. One is I think we we all have our our touches with comedy and you know I have some really close friends that we've been really tight for a long time and I've recognized as we've all done our self work that those those uh sessions where we're busting each other's balls they're very different now. Mm. There was a lot of passive regret and yeah. I'm just kind of thinking about it now in fact we've had this thing as we haven't been able to spend time together we're really seeing how challenging tone is to read in text. And mm. something happened the other day where, where I was, we were all kind of triangulating, trying to figure out what's going on with this coronavirus. And I had sent some stuff that a, a good friend of mine had shared with me. And it was a little bit of a conspiracy bent, but I think it was really rooted in some um, some stuff that made sense. And so I had sent it out and I said, I was going to go ride on the Peloton. And one of my buddies was like, we'll see if you can ride out some of that conspiracy theory. <laughs> and he put like an emoji that was like smiling, laughing, but I read it like I was a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And, and so after I riding, I was just a little bit triggered. And so I shared with them, I said, listen, I know you didn't mean it that way, but that's the way it felt. And so instead of me just sitting with it and just letting it eat me up, like I'm going to share it. And he's just like, yeah, dude, I knew it was, you know, going to be misunderstood. And it's not that I'm sensitive Sally here, but I think um, it just brought to mind that that would have never, we, I would have come back with something and it would have been this thing where there was just this underlying tension. Yeah. And so I love um, that you had this awareness about that. And yeah, I, I, I think one of the things you said that I would love to you to speak a little bit uh, more deeply on is when your mentor said that to you. I think a lot of us, when we have this visceral, physical response, like retching response, <laughs> we don't Acknowledge it. Yeah. We're not taught to. And I think as you do the work, you start to really read the body and how it responds. And so you had the awareness, this is something that hits home because it's true. If it's not true, you can brush it off. Yeah. But if it's true and it doesn't feel good to hear, I think you have what 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 you experienced. And so I'd love to just, you know, share with people a practical way or, 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 and maybe that's just it that we're just talking about. Like when something happens to you and you have a physical response, whether it's this closed down, like kind of solar plexus, like, Oh no. Or this opening, like something feels so fucking good. Yeah. In that case, it's like, go do whatever that thing that made you open up. That's your path. Like yeah. go do that. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of curious to get some more of your thoughts on that because I think this really would be really beneficial for people. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, 
and, and I'd be delighted to share a, a one question practice that is powerful as hell. I've been using it for well over a decade. Yet first, uh, some quick context. We live in a time where we compete for gold medals and victimization, and we pretend someone else is doing it to us. So we're, we're living in the age where not everybody yet, a lot of people are connoisseurs of outrage. How can I be offended? So let me look for things that aren't about me that I can get mad at, and I'll hurt myself over them. In other words, I'm hurting myself, self-victimizing, yet pretending someone else is doing it for me, and I get rewarded for this, both socially, other people feel sorry for me, and it makes me feel significant. Give us an give us like an example that that would be appropriate. Uh, yeah, you know, Kevin Hart sends out a tweet uh, that has nothing to do with you. He said it ten years ago. His you know famous tweet was about gay people, and it, you know he would even admit like, yeah, cool. By today's standards, that's inappropriate. Even ten years ago, that was inappropriate. Yet. We compete so hard for victimization. We'll dig 10 years into the past and get outraged. And people who aren't even gay get outraged over it. So when we do that, we have this strong energy. Regardless, if we're doing that or not, we have this strong energy that comes up. We're emotionally charged. The the heavy feeling, the whitewash of shame, just like me with the mentor. And... When that feeling comes up, we we have two choices, kind of a fork in the road. Go into thyself or escape thyself. Escape thyself would be, okay, I'm going to play the role of the victim. I'm going to pretend someone else is making my body and being generate my emotions, which means I give my power away. Mm. I give my sovereignty of self to someone else and pretend that they have control over me, like from the inside out. Like nobody has their hand up your anus doing the Maybe they do, and that's cool. And no, I've got rubber gloves on as we speak. (laughs) So that's option A. Leave thyself through victimization, lack of self-responsibility. By the way, I've been there, and I'll be there again. It's just how much time do I spend there? Option B, the fork in the road, is when we have the intense emotional charge, we can go into thyself. And you mentioned, you know, when you, when your buddy sent you a text about the conspiracy theories, you felt triggered. And so in that moment with the mentor, I felt triggered. And I'm not talking about the social justice warrior version, exactly. of it, but the actual psychological meaning of the term trigger. There were emotion, intense emotions in me that weren't created then. They were likely created a long time ago, yet I was aware of them then. And that's what much of the time when we're feeling something intense, we're feeling something that wasn't created in the moment, but we become aware of it in the moment. We feel it in the moment. And and to believe that, oh, that's all created in the moment, that's like watching someone juice an orange think, well, that's that juice is created right now. No, the juice was created weeks, months ago, and it's just giving external expression of it now as the juice gets squeezed. So for me, a powerful self-awareness question so that we can leave behind the grounds of victimization, which is always disempowering for ourselves, 
we pretend it's empowering because we feel more significant and go forward into the higher ground of having our own power and learning from our past so we can grow and become a better person, which means we allow ourselves to be truly more of who we actually are. A question I love to ask in the face of the emotional charge that nobody wants to feel, but it's there. The question is, what does this say about me? I am feeling this shame. What does this say about me? What does this say about me and my past? What does this say about what I have to learn? What does this say about feelings I need to feel that I've never felt before? What does this say about when I've been in a similar experience before? What does this say about being in similar feelings before? All summarized with, what does this say about me? Uh, rather than what does this say about what someone else is doing that they shouldn't do and I can cancel them if I get enough people on board. So, Well, I love that. And that's definitely something I wanted to talk about today is with this kind of cancel culture. Is that what they're calling it? There's a bunch of different names, but... We should cancel cancel culture, Cal. We, think we, we can do we, that. We probably... Do you know well, a guy that can do that? I got a guy. I got a couple Don't. guys who could cancel cancel culture. <laughs> now that I think about it, but it, it's you know I'm not affected by it because I'm not necessarily in the you know I'm a amateur comedian. I'm not on, out on the tour like you. But what has it been like as these things are coming up? How have your routines changed? If they have, are you much more careful about the content you put out? Do you run it by somebody or a group of people just to make sure? What happens with people who are reaching out to you? That's something, again, I was thinking about, you know, I don't, I'm just getting into this game as the podcast grows and I have people on that are maybe a little bit more controversial, a little more fringe. There will, these people will come out of the woodwork. Yeah. And so, and then I know I just asked you about fucking 10 questions, but <laughs> feel free to answer any of them or come up with your own, but yeah, like how how have things changed since yeah. the Kevin Hart's and all that stuff's happened? Yeah, uh, for me, nothing's changed. And here's what I do. I must just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> Before I create content, write a video, write stand-up, I get very clear on where I'm coming from, which is my heart. If I'm not in my heart, I, I don't create. I, I don't like to create from a place of misdirected anger or like I need to have a conversation with my wife, but instead of doing that, let me just write this comedy so I don't have to say what I actually need to say to her. So I get in my heart and then I run the material by no one. And I I feel as though I owe that to myself to let my voice be my voice and not ask anybody else's motherfucking permission for me to have my voice and period. I fucking love that. That is not what I expected for an answer, but it makes perfect sense. It's you feeling into your heart and whatever comes out, it's just, that's what's in you. And I think, again, I don't want people to miss what you said earlier 
because I think, again, there's probably confusion for people, but the very things that you're making fun of are parts of your life. Yeah. You're bringing it to light. Um, you're not making fun of your, yeah. And I think knowing you, I know that. I wonder if you get pushback on people like, fuck off, dude. Like I'm a vegan and this and that. And yeah, you know, in the non-physical world, uh, psychological world, online world, nobody can push you unless you let them. Their words are there, but they they don't hurt you unless you let them, unless you give your power away to their words, unless you're competing for their approval and their lack of approval hurts. So now you're you're in a combative relationship with their words. I don't like what you said. That's not right. And I feel as though I need to change myself to get your approval. Um, I don't like to do that. You know, I... It's like trying to, uh, right, it's, it's, it's trying to please the universe. Yeah. And I'll have conversations with a bunch of, everybody has their own opinion. You know, when my uh, wife has people say things on her Instagram that she doesn't like, she'll block them. And she has every right to do that. And I'm glad she does what she wants to do. And of course, when people comment nasty things on a video of mine or a post of mine. Sometimes she'll see it and like, hey, this guy said this. I'm like, I, I don't care. And I'm not saying that with indifference. I'm saying that with they have a right to voice their voice as much as I do. And I don't want to try to modulate their voice. And uh, this is a social platform and I'm all about freedom of speech unless someone is... Uh, making physical threats, then, you know, all bets are on. Mm. And I can say that with, with a pretty high level of serenity because I know I'm coming from my heart. In the past, there's been, you know, a couple instances where I've put something out, gotten, it's actually shocking to me how, low the percentage of pushback I get. Like I was just in my YouTube analytics and the vast majority of my videos, the thumbs up, yeah. thumbs down ratio, yeah. it's 98 to 99 <laughs> to one or two. So like to dislike ratio, which is shocking. Like, really? Like, that's amazing. But I remember this one video I put out, I was in Costa Rica about three years ago and I was going to be there for three months. That's when my wife and I were starting to date and she was down there and I, she was living down there at the time and I wasn't on tour at the time. So it's like, all right, three months, I'm going to be here for a three month long date with my lady. And, and there were, there's, you know, Costa Rica, it's not a first world country. There's things, you know, you wipe your butt and throw the toilet paper in the trash. Roads uh, aren't good. And yeah. like, which is fine. Yet I was finding myself getting really annoyed by these things and, I decided, like, let me make a video about Costa Rica. So I did, and I put that video out. And I knew something was going wrong the next morning when I was getting harassed on the street, going to get coffee. And then my assistant gets a hold of me. She's like, JP, you have a lot of death threats coming in online. Something's wrong with that video. I'm like, fuck, really? What? Oh, it was just a funny video. You guys are taking it wrong. But I sat with it, and I was... 
I wasn't in a right, I wasn't in my heart when I made that video. So that, that pushback, it was uncomfortable for me because it was pushing back against me, against an un, unresolved truth inside of me. You know, someone, you know, I, I put out a video earlier today called uh, How to Have Sex During the Corona Quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I haven't, if someone negatively comments on it, it'd be like calling like JP or an elephant molester. It's like, yeah, like I'm good. Like I, <laughs> I'm good on that video. But there was something unresolved in me that like, man, they're pushing on me and there's something real there. So I sat with this like, I made that video from a very passive aggressive place and I want to own my voice and I I never want to enslave myself to other people's outrage. This wasn't that. It was like, yeah, JP, humble yourself. Uh, this video was uh, not the best energy. So that's the only video I've ever made and taken down. Wow. And, and Jesus, and you have a ton of videos. Do you have any idea how many videos you have out there? There, man, between my comedy videos and uh, sincere videos on my YouTube channel, I think it's well over 400. That's that's a nice ratio. Yeah. 400 to one. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Looking forward to the next one. <laughs> See what kind of shit storm that creates. Well, I wonder too, what happens when, you know, you have this angst and you you know, you and Amber, your wife have like a, there's a disconnect There's something like, how do you process that? How do you get yourself back out of the mind and into the heart? Do you, are there some practices that you use? Man, the one that is, I, I'll call it a practice because it's what I do. And it's having the humbleness to take in the biofeedback from my wife. So oftentimes she's in touch with things before I am. And the biofeedback comes through her upset. Like not to get caught up in the story. We, we're all humans. We have our story. Yet when I, I get into, okay, Amber's upset. What yeah, does, talk a little bit like, I want you to like really get down to the elementary level about like biofeedback yeah. and that type of so, language. Yeah, when Amber's upset, you know, she's angry. She's maybe, she's crying sometimes or she's yelling sometimes. My temptation is to have the mindset of she's just upset. She's emotional and like, man, I wish she would get her shit together. But to let that be biofeedback for me, not against me, but for me, I have to realize she can connect with emotions and energies oftentimes faster with more sensitivity and with more courage than I can. And, and she's willing to do something about it. So I can pay attention to how she's emoting and realize when she's emoting, that usually says something about me. Again, divorcing from the story of upset when she's like, JP, you're a jerk because of this. It's like it's more meaningful stuff than that. Like there's something real about me. And, you know, there's times where, you know, she's broken down and saying, JP, I'm not happy in our relationship. Holy shit, does that hurt? 
holy shit, what I wish she wouldn't say that. And holy shit, is she speaking the truth for the both of us? It's like when I have the courage to be with her and stay with her in that and, and get into my emotions and what's true for me, it's like, yes, me too. And I'm not happy how I'm showing up. And let you know, however she needs to do her self-work of it, I can only do what I can do, own myself. And I, and I would say, I mean, similar to the YouTube videos, it's probably about 99 to 1, where maybe 1% of the time, it's like, to the best of my discernment, I think she's just purely projecting onto me. 99% of the time, it's like, yes, she's projecting, she's a human, and yes, this says something about me. This is, she is biofeedback for me, and P.S., what a great gift. I, I think our greatest gifts will always resent at times. Very rarely when she becomes emotional at me, well, I feel super grateful for her being my biofeedback, but it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, this might save me from having a heart attack one day from being so disconnected from my heart. Her and I are connected in a union. And I think the principal function at a deeper emotional and spiritual level of a relationship, a marriage is to mirror you back to you. So I, the, the mirror of Amber, holy Lord, there'd be so much of me that I couldn't see without the mirror that she is. So, it you know, sometimes I just want to get angry at the mirror instead of connecting to who's looking in the mirror and at times it's tempting to just say, no, she's just projecting onto me. Like, this is her issue. And I'll spiritualize it. Like, you know, her, her yeah. childhood issues. And like, <laughs> don't take, and then like bring in the four agreements. Don't take anything personally. Yes. GP. Yes. All of that is true. Yet I'm a, pardon my language, a conniving cunt towards myself. I'll take <laughs> my most sophisticated spiritual understandings. My ego will get a hold of that and use that against myself in order to let my ego feel comfortable, feel significant, and feel certain. So, ew. I love all that. I, I, that really resonates for me on a couple of different levels. Um, just my personal experience with Peyton, there were times when, um, it's so funny, you hear, you hear this all the time, well, we never fight. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's that's a red flag. Yeah. And what you're talking about is what do that. you do with the emotion? How do you suppress them yeah. to where you can't fight? And we so we were we had this long period of disconnection. And then I and much like with Amber, I have so much gratitude for Peyton having the balls to stand up on multiple occasions and say, This is not okay anymore. And I'm like, you know, uh, my ego said, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't cheat on you. I didn't, you know, I'm not out drinking all the time. Or there, there were periods where I was doing that. But it, by and large, when these we were having these really hard times, it wasn't that. It was just me being completely disconnected. And she just, to your point, felt it all very viscerally where I was that classic shutdown unconscious male. Like I'm here as the provider and the rock of this family. And I'm yeah. trying to figure out my shit and all this. And it just all became so self-absorbed with it. 
And when I look back on those times, and I've spoken about this before, but it's what it's where I was. So it's what I it's the best I had. And um, so I'm not ashamed of that. There was a time where I was, but I've 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 done enough work where I realized that that's that was the best I had. Those are the tools I had. But I but I but do want to encourage everyone if you have a relationship where you'd never argue with your wife or fight, or there's never any of that. And there's, and it's not like the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the relationships that are actually like that and are really healthy, then it's a bit of a, a wake up call to take, take a deeper look. Are you just completely disconnected? Like I was, um, or, or are you that anomaly that you just don't fight? But I love your example. Um, because it brings me back to what you said with John McMullen. Same idea. Yeah. You know, you can let the ego come in and you can feel shame and embarrassment in these things. And, and then as you get the language as you have, and I have now, I have all this spiritual language and the Ram Das, and I can speak all that bullshit. <laughs> what horse shit should I pull up now to justify myself? And they can sound really good, but as yeah. it's coming out, there's a, there's some, you're getting some feedback, whether it's your contorted mouth as you're trying to get the words out to sound super connected, because all you're doing is protecting the ego. Yeah. You're not really being in that space. And, you know, there was a time... I got a great piece of, of advice from a close friend of ours, Aubrey Marcus. It was a couple of years ago. And it was when Peyton and I were in this kind of a weird place. And we were at lunch with Kyle Kingsbury. And I said, you know, we got to go home and we've we got some stuff we need to talk about, she said. And he said, you know, just go in with no strategy. Just go and listen. And it's like, well, I always have a strategy. I'm always <laughs> trying to protect myself. I always need to be right. Yeah. Yeah. But coming, it, coming from, again, it came from his heart. And, you know, um, that's what I've learned as I've started to open up my heart. Like, oh, yeah, like I need to listen to her because what I've been doing before has gotten us into, it's, it's been a big reason why we're in this place of disconnect. And so I recommend all of you out there that if you're feeling like you're going into this really difficult conversation with your partner, try to go in with no strategy and to just listen. And I did come home and I listened and it was like the start of our healing of recognizing like, I have my work to do. And you know, Peyton again was courageous enough to say, I have my work to do too. Even though I seem to be the bad guy, um, maybe the outside looking in, you know, she didn't put that on me. She knew that she had her work and that we still are continuing to do our own work. We bring that back to the relationship and to what you said before. And I think that's very profound. You can only carry your 50% and that's it. You can be there and support as your partner is going through their work. Um, but you have to let them go through at their pace. Yeah, man. And, and a part of that, that, I don't like most of the time is trying it is surrendering control over how my partner sees me not trying to manipulate her 
by getting her to see me and you need to feel happy about me. You need to see me this way. You need to see my point. You need to see me as the good guy. You, sir, that is so disrespectful to the person we love most to try to manipulate and control how they're experiencing us. And to the wise point, our friend Aubrey made strategies. Go in there without a strategy. To me, that's synonymous with go in there not trying to control or manipulate. And I, I think whether we're trying to control and manipulate through a strategy or you know, spiritual rationalizations <laughs> that come from our head, not our heart in those <laughs> moments, we're, we're carrying our words as weapons and shields, swords and shields. <laughs> and right away we realize... Well, if we notice we're doing that, I'm I'm not here to be connective. I'm here to do harm and defend myself. I think in our good days, our words will have a connective intent behind them. Or our lack of words, just listen. But if we were carrying our words, strategies and rationalizations, our swords and shields, those aren't connective devices. Those are disconnective devices. We feel safer with a sword and a shield. In other words, parts of us maybe feel safer disconnecting. Yet I think the call is have the courage and fierceness to connect in even deeper. Lay down the shield. Lay down the strategies. And something I'm curious, your perspective on this, I'll... I've hey, this is my interview. Yeah, exactly. So I'll shut up. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Try to manipulate. I'll just cut me. it out if I fuck it up. That's cool. Manipulate me to sound however you want me to sound, Cal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what um, do you got for me? I I look at my marriage, and honestly, I look at all intimate relationships as a ceremony. And much like if someone's doing a ceremony with. Uh, medicine, psilocybin, ayahuasca, or a sweat lodge ceremony, mm. you realize the discomfort is for you. It's showing you your work, the discomfort, whether it's the intense physical discomfort of a sweat lodge where you just swear, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You feel that discomfort. Yet we realize, wow, that discomfort those feelings, those are the flames creating the phoenix rising to purify ourselves so we can burn away the psychological scar tissue that we were not, but we think we are, but we're burning that away. And we need the sensation of these fiery feelings to do that, to purify ourselves. And thank God for this ceremony, for giving me that, as it is with our relationships. And I think you know, I used to look at conflict in relationships, my my challenging feelings, my upset feelings, my uncomfortable feelings as markers of failing in the relationship. Oh, I think so many people resonate with that. Yeah. Man, and that's like going, it's just like if you go into a medicine journey starting to resist discomfort, thinking, well, this shouldn't be happening. This is bad. This is good, bad. Something's bad. Or it's going to okay. get real bad. Now yes. you're finding out what hell is. Yeah, hand up. I've, at, I've been there. As I have yeah. in relationships and ceremonies. And I think when we can breathe, trust, and surrender that the sensations of discomfort in the ceremony of a relationship are there 
helping us learn about ourselves at a feeling level so we can purify ourselves and become a more whole expression of who we are that would never be possible without the ceremony of the relationship, then we can actually look at the conflict with reverence and actually look at it as this is an opportunity for us both to grow rather than my old thinking of, oh, conflict, this is a sign that the relationship is diminishing. Mm. It's a marker of failure. Mm. And I'm curious if you oh, have similar fuck. different... Fucking yes. A lot of things come up for me. For one, speaking of ceremony, Peyton and I had uh, another marriage ceremony in 2018 down in uh, Merida, Mexico. And it was a beautiful Mayan ceremony. It was, it was literally like on a whim. We were down there for someone else's wedding. One thing led to another. It turns out we were coming out of a sweat lodge, the two of us. And um, I won't go too much of the details, but she brought her her ring. She said to the abuela, she said, is there some way that you could purify this ring? I haven't been wearing it for three months. To which I was like, well, I didn't fucking know that. She's not wearing our <laughs> wedding ring. Hello, talk about red flags. Yeah. But at that point we were on our course to healing. And so fast forward a couple of days, we had this amazing ceremony. And in the ceremony, it was recognizing that 18 years earlier, we had gotten married and we had particular roles we were filling at that point. And those roles no longer served us, served the relationship. And in this ceremony, which is very different than a traditional ceremony we'd have here in the States, it was all about recognizing that, recognizing the shadow side, pulling the shadow side into you and owning it and not pushing it away um, and forgiving each other and one another for all that has happened and just know that we're all doing the best we can. Um, and so this stuff was, it was a beautiful kind of rebirth for our relationship, but to, but to speak more um, clearly about this, one of the things that really comes up for me is this notion that these things aren't happening to me, they're happening for me. And I, I deeply resonate with what you're talking about when there's conflict in the relationship. There was a time I was like, fuck, like, well, what's, what's going on? What can we, what can I do to fix this? Or is this fixable? Like what's going on? It's like, no, it's, it's information that you need to do the work. And I think by and large men, unfortunately we go through, we have the models that we've had growing up the models, unfortunately, that are very vocal out there in our community are largely unconscious. And it's put your head down and get it done and fucking... It's like all that language around it. And there's no nuance to it. There's no um, discernment, as you said earlier. And I I really believe part of my role, my act, my really my act of service is because I've been on that side, that unconscious male with good intentions, like a lot of men, but just completely disconnected because that's all I knew. And as I've started to find this other way, and I found my way, as you said, into my heart, like truly into my heart where I fucking cry all the time out of great out of gratitude and grace. And it's something that I've never done before. Mm. 
I'll be talking to my buddy Dave on the phone and it's like, I just start crying. It's like, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. And I think men need to see, honestly, like men like us out there who are connected. We're connected with our partners. We're connected with our kids, if we have kids, with our brothers and sisters. And so, again, I feel like my role is to show up in a way that is really connected to my heart and to let those that are struggling to get there to know that it's okay. Like it will happen. Just You just need to continue to do the work and to trust because that disconnected feeling, it's like you said, it's just, you're just using the shield and the sword and that's all you know and it's, oh, yeah. it's okay. You don't throw it away. Yeah. There's a time and a place to use that. Absolutely. But Boy, when you put that down, you asked me before we got on here, we were over looking at, um, I was showing JP, like my sauna, cold plunge in my gym. And I remarked that I used to lift a lot of weights over there 30 pounds ago. And you asked, well, what would I, how, why aren't you doing it anymore? And without going too deep into all the details, um, I lost 30 pounds of muscle um, because I was starting to heal myself and I just stopped that really intense training. It didn't have the intention behind it that my healing was. The healing was stop training so hard so that these remedies can really start to take hold at a cellular level. Okay, loud and clear. I'll stop working out. I start shedding the pounds. I start softening. What happens as a direct or indirect result my mind becomes open. My heart becomes open. I start to become more connected to my wife, my kids, to other people's ideas. I'm no longer in a binary world that's black and white. I'm open to not knowing. I'm, I want to question things, not to make sure I'm right, but because I'm fucking curious. And because honestly, what I've really found is no one fucking knows anything. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happening today is a perfect example that there are well-intended people that are saying things about what's happening with this virus, but there's a large majority that are acting unconsciously. They don't even know what the fuck they're doing, but they're doing the best they can. And so it's creating a ton of fear in people. They're thinking worst case scenario. And I'm not saying you don't prepare for the worst case scenario, but I'm saying don't buy into it. And I keep, I'm reminded almost daily of the work of Byron Katie. Are you familiar with her work yeah, at all? Is that true? Yeah, it's beautiful. And I'll link to that in the show notes. But in, in essence, you come up with a statement, this is going to last for 18 months. Okay, is that true? Yes, it's, it's absolutely true that that's going to happen. Well, can you positively 100% know that this will happen for 18 months, that we'll be under lockdown? Well, no, you can't. Okay, so what happens? So question three is, what happens to you? What do you feel when you believe the thought? And so when you sit in meditation and you ask these questions, what happens? I get closed off. I get scared. I don't talk to my wife. I yell at my kids. I'm impatient. I don't work out. I eat junk food. I'm scared. Okay. So this whole cascade of things, you just closed down. Okay. The fourth question is, what would you be Who would you be without that thought? And so you actually turn it around and say, this thing's gonna, is gonna be over tomorrow. Okay, how do I feel? I feel excited. I feel alive. I can't wait to make love to my wife. My kids are amazing. Mm -hmm. I wanna be outside and breathe the fresh air. And it's just like, okay. So you have two different scenarios 
But in so many cases, what do we do? We fucking go with the first one. And it's just as likely as the second scenario. So why are we choosing to believe the one that's doomsday? Man, yeah. You know, I I think we all need to feel something all the time. Sometimes that's numbness, ironically. Yet, I think, unfortunately, the unconscious path of least resistance is, I'll feel this sensation of panic. And when we wake the fuck up and ask ourselves some percolating questions like you just did by her and Katie's work, we start to get back into our hearts and I dare say back into our purpose of our life. And I know anybody who's ever acted for a moment on purpose in their lives, and I know so many of the listeners here every day act on purpose, we know when you are fueled by the feeling of purpose, Purpose always trumps panic. No, Nobody on purpose would say, oh, I would choose to feel panic. No, like you got to feel something. If you don't know how to get into purpose, path of least resistance, panic, cool. I understand that people got to feel something. That's the easiest path. But the awakened path, once we're in purpose, to go from there back to panic, that's like here we're at the table filled with a beautiful bounty of organic food, sustainably farmed, locally farmed, it's fresh. But to go to panic, now we're looking at eating moldy junk food. Nobody does that. So, man, I, I, I personally believe we're living in a time where, like, I understand why panic, and I understand we're living in a time where people have never needed to double down on their purpose more than now, in my delusional opinion. Yeah, no, I, I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, here's a little plug. I, you know, I started this weekly Zoom call. I had one on Sunday with a group of men, and I think we had 50 men on there. And the idea is I've had the good fortune to be a part of several, like, brotherhoods where men show up for other men in meaningful ways. And I know that that certainly wasn't always the case for me. And I know there are a lot of men out there, especially in a time like this, and I liken it to 2008 just because of the uncertainty, but they're they're, they're very different. This one, I would would argue, is um, way more challenging. But um, I wanted to create a place for men to come and know that they, and I've said this multiple times, but that they are seen, that they are heard, and they are supported by the brotherhood. And they can rely on the brotherhoods that I'm a part of, and they, they're welcome in. And, you know, it's something that, you know, on this call Sunday, uh, a future guest on the show, his name is Sean Weatherill, um, he asked everyone, he said, you know, we get really caught up and he's got such a beautiful tenderness to him. You're going to, you're going to, he's amazing. But he said, you know, we get caught up in looking at the past and I fucked this up and I shouldn't have done this because look at where we are now. And you panic about the future because of the uncertainty in which we all know that I think, well, I posted something else this week on social media it was, they were not my words, but the idea was we've never had certainty. Yeah. We've only had the illusion of certainty. Oh, right? Amen, brother. And so that, and I think when I put that out, I was surprised at first at how many people were like, holy shit, 
It's like, yeah, that's kind of what I've started to understand over the last year. It's like, yeah, we don't, we don't control shit. We just think we do. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, my point is he, he asked a very simple question. He said, right now, as we're all on this call, the 50 of us are on this call, are you okay? Mm. Right now. And he just really anchored everybody into the literal present moment. Because I think be here now and be present and all that can be very esoteric and be a few layers away from some people's understanding. But when you just ask the question, right now, JP, as you sit here, we're having this conversation you're not thinking about the past. You're not worried about the future. Are you okay? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're Look at us. We're here. Indeed. And, you know, that, uh, yeah, I'm okay now. You're okay now. And, and I know I have moments where I don't feel okay and like shit's going wrong. And, and even that same wisdom, we could, okay, you, you don't feel okay can you be okay not being okay right now? And like even that, you can still find the peace when there is suffering. And, you know, the, 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 the I love how you extrapolated the, or not extrapolated, but you exemplified the catastrophizing that so many people are doing. Like this recession and like the death, it's going to last for 18 months. And, while that's pretty unlikely, let's pretend it, even if it does, like, let's say we only have 18 fucking days to live. Do you want to go out panicking for your last 18 days? We realize panics never helped anybody. Back in the olden days when there'd be fires in movie theaters, they'd find someone yelling fire was way more deadly than the fire because mm -hmm. panic never helps, especially in a dangerous time. So, you know, our man, the, the wonderful human being who I guarantee had it worse than anybody listening, Viktor Frankl. Oh, beautiful. In the I Holocaust. just started reading his book again. Yeah, man, Search for Meaning. Mm. And, you know, there he was finding okayness in, in the concentration camp. And one of his messages is, we always have the choice to uh, how we want to express our human spirit, how we want to experience the moment, how we, would the meaning we want to assign to any given situation, external circumstances beyond our control. In his case, the Nazis, the Holocaust. He realized nobody can take that right from me. No virus can take that right from us to choose the meaning of any given moment in any given circumstance. So because, I mean, such a powerful example because that was a such a dire situation. Relative to that, we're living through a time it's tough, yet not nearly as tough by any stretch. So if we can realize, man, that beautiful man found peace, love, and meaning and had a spirit of kindness in a situation he sure as shit didn't choose, then I think we can uh, owe it to ourselves to breathe out our panic, realize, you know, all the panic, the voices, probably not true, mm. even if they were true, 
and we somehow knew with certainty that illusion that Mm. we're going to die tomorrow or even in an hour, do we want to spend our last moments huddled in fear? Or like C.S. Lewis wrote years ago, do we want to spend our last moments playing playing tennis, singing songs, reading stories to our children, dancing. How would you rather go out if you knew your life was going to end in an hour? Now, our life is going to go on more than an hour, but that's just, to me, it's like, all right, that makes it real. Because I catch myself going into the, the panic mindset. and But I love the like this wisdom that you brought in to when I can connect with that, it reels me back and finds peace amongst the chaos. Yeah. And again, uh, I think what we're both saying is it's not that there aren't circumstances that aren't super challenging for people. We're not, we're not saying that at all. We're just saying that the panic doesn't make it better. It, 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 it exacerbates it and it, in it, you get out of the heart again and you get into the head and the head has many different ways to play tricks on us. And so, and especially bringing up a guy like a guy, a, a, a man in our, our history, like Viktor Frankl, he, I mean, he even looked at his oppressors with a dignity and honored the work that they were doing because they, that's, that's all they knew. Like to have, the, to, to, to share that kind of grace is, I mean, to, to be able to show a 10th of that grace would be would be something, you know, yeah, but really it, what it brings to mind for me, um, and it is that, you know, this is what I do. It's a perfect segue into this course you just offered. There's an opportunity here with what's going on. We're on, you know, we have this social distancing or we can call it physical distancing, which is not my term, but I really like that because it allows you to still have that social component. You're just physically distant. Um, we can look at ourselves as being on house arrest, which I've heard that said as well. Or we can look around and I'll just speak to my own direct experiences. I'm here with my wife, Peyton, my three kids, my mom's in town. She's been here for a long time, and which is amazing. And our, th- our three animals, our two dogs and our pet p- uh, pig Petunia. Now, we can anchor into this opportunity to spend time together. And don't get me wrong. This is not some sort of like we're spending 24-7 together. Like we need our fucking space. Sure. And we acknowledge that. And maybe this, our experience is a little bit different than most people because our daughter has been homeschooled for the last three years. One of our sons who's at um, a regular school right now was homeschooled. So we're basically have all the kids at home and we have no activities to drive to. So we're just here at the house. And again, I, I fully accept that we have the amenities of the things I would want, like a gym and a cold plunge and, and, and all that stuff. And so that, that's not lost on me. I'm very grateful for that. But my point is, this can be an opportunity, as you said with C.S. Lewis, how do you want to spend these days? Do you want to play or do you want to be in complete stress? Yeah. And back to your other point, the fucking choice is not anybody's but your own. Yeah. And so I offer that to everyone out there. Don't think about it. 
take five minutes, take 10 minutes, whatever your meditation practice is. If you don't have a meditation practice, take one minute, close your eyes, get someplace quiet and think about that. How does the next bit of time, which again is uncertain, how does it feel if I devolve into panic the entire time and have all the fears of the unlikely scenarios, though they are real, they're unlikely, if I buy into that, or if I try to live in a presence with my family, with my brothers and sisters that are not in the physical space, what can you do? You fucking Zoom, holy shit. Never seen so many Zoom calls. We had one last week, my wife and I, Peyton, and three other couples got together one night. We all kind of got dressed up. We had some cocktails or mocktails. I had uh, Ritual Zero Proof, little shout out there. Um, but you can, it, it can be an opportunity to connect on a different level and show up for one another. So again, like I want to talk about what you put out recently, your, your inspiration for that. And you made it available for people for free. And if you have the means, by all means, pay for it. Cause it, you know, that's you also your duty, I would, I would argue. But if you can't afford it, go find it. And where can they find it for one? And we will absolutely link to all this in the show notes, but I want you to just talk about this. I downloaded it today. Unfortunately, I had a long phone call and other stuff. I haven't gotten a chance to look at it, but yeah. please, please do tell. With the, you know, the little teaser message, a little four or five minute message that uh, I'd love to share with everybody. It's on my YouTube channel. You can just type in JP, Panic to Purpose. And in there, I, I share a message and you'll see a link to the actual course in the description of the video. In the course, it's called From Fear to Peace, Real Talk on How to Thrive During a Scary Time. And what it is, it's a playbook of perspective and practices to help support anybody in, in making this, this challenging time a, a time of opportunity rather than catastrophe. So, and of course, I, you know, I, I've been graced to have powerful mentors. I've been graced to have the opportunity to do a lot of self-work and work with clients over the years. So I wanted to share what I what I know that's been helping me immensely and that's helped people and myself and many challenges over the years. It's a time like, man, people need this the most. I just want to give people a playbook that can give them the uh, essentially a sense of certainty that they are taking care of themselves during this uncertain time. So... And of course, I know a, a reality for a lot of people. There's dings in finances. Some people are losing jobs, getting laid off. So, of course, I said, like th this one, this is not about making money. I, I, it's free for everybody. And if if you've got surplus where you can make a donation, you've got that option too. But again, you can just check out my YouTube channel and the video shifting from panic to purpose. And you'll see the the full course link in the description of that video. And yeah, man, I, I, I think it comes down to, we all need to help one another. Uh, one of, you know, a man, he's been so powerful in my life, Tony Robbins, 
he he simply says, and I man, it just seems remarkably true so much of the time that when you're suffering, it's because you're making everything about you. But when you can contribute to other people, your suffering starts to diminish. And and that we're living in a time where we'll we'll create living hell for ourselves if we just make this about us. Okay, what am I losing? And what am I not going to have? And me, 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 me. But we, when we start to notice, like, well, what can I do for someone else? That then we get into the energy of the feeling of purpose, not panic. So we realize, wow, why does this feel better? to help other people rather than being in my own, stuck in my own world, dwelling on what I'm losing, what I don't have. It's like, oh, because like I'm panicking there and now I have a sense of purpose. And I think one of the things we all have in common is uh, the common purpose of being here to contribute to other people. That can take many literal shapes, podcast, music, writing, being a the best father, the best mother, being a businessman, but man, I think part of the purpose that we all have in common is contributing to other people outside of ourselves. And that's not to be neglectful of ourselves because that is not true contribution. That's martyrism and we just use people to escape ourselves. But of course, put your own oxygen mask on first and once it's on, help other people. This is a beautiful time. Man, I don't know about you, Cal. The past, you know, two weeks of the that we've been here in the initial quarantine, looking for opportunities to find magic, people walking around my neighborhood, families. Yes. Like mothers, fathers, children riding bikes together. I've lived in this neighborhood for two years. I, I see people out never like this, not even on a Saturday. There is just like this connection of families. I'm like, man, this is beautiful. It really is. I, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I see, I see the same thing. And, um, you know, what's really been beautiful. And I just mentioned zoom. Cause I think it's a perfect example for so long you know, we've looked at technology, the shadow side, we get wrapped up in social media, we get sucked into YouTube, we get all these things that pull us away from presence. But what we're doing today, what I'm seeing in large part, people using these technologies to connect in a meaningful way. And it's beautiful. It's, again, it's the platform I'm using with Zoom to connect with other men. And I'm doing another call. It'll be by the time this comes out, it would have been the previous Thursday, but one of my guests uh, from episode 10, Ryan Frisinger, is going to come on and speak to you know, his thoughts about this kind of pandemic being a wake-up call. Yeah. And what is it waking us up to if we're choosing to you know, have that awareness and what can we do to better arm ourselves? You came over here and you gifted some oil of oregano. Like... Think, like people don't know about these remedies. We were so reliant on the healthcare system to fix our problems. But being as like we did this walk beforehand, I was in bare feet and I had my shirt off, like getting vitamin D, getting the earth's grounding. Like these, these are these are things that people have been doing 
for millennia, but they've been lost on us. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this is an opportunity for people to discover this. And that's one of the things that I'm really intent on is I feel like we have people's attention. So what can we share with them? Can we feed them bullshit? <laughs> or can we feed them stuff that yeah. they can rebuild their foundation on? It's just like that. Something as simple as being outside, fresh air, taking a cold shower. Why is that important? Getting in the sauna, sweating out the toxins. Like, why is it important to exercise? Um, like all these things that we're so used to adding to our lives we're so used to trying to find that next supplement. And it's not to say the supplements aren't beneficial, but we're trying to add things to our lives to improve it where it's been my experience. The more shit I take away, yeah. weeding the garden, so to speak, the better I feel, the more I can tell when something's working or not working. And so to your point, I see this I really see this as an opportunity. As again, I, I launched my podcast a couple of months ago and I have lots of ideas about how I want to grow and, and, and the, the different things that I'm working on. And all of a sudden, this opportunity presented itself for me to show up for men. That's, what, that's like a big calling of mine um, because men showed up for me, you know, like Kyle Kingsbury when I was asking all the questions and I didn't have any of the answers or it's not even the answers. I didn't know how to ask the question. And then as you ask the right questions, there aren't answers. There's just more questions and there's more inquiry and there's a beauty in that. And that's again, away from that old mindset where we're problem solvers yeah. as men. And there's a time to solve problems. And then there's a time to just to surrender to the, unknown and the curiosity and the wonder. And that has been such a gift for me. And it's because other men have modeled it for me. And throughout my life, there haven't, there haven't been a ton of men like that. There have been men that have shown up for me. You know, I think about my old business partner, Will Hobart was, you know, I was a trader in Chicago. Now you can imagine what can happen in that industry. It can get really dirty, scummy. Yeah, I would think, like yeah. you can, you can bring out the worst in people. Um, and I don't want to say they're bad people. I, I'm very careful. It brings out the worst in people. <laughs> you know, there's a difference, right? Sure. I don't, bad behaviors, ego behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And I was fortunate enough, or, you know, I used to think I was fortunate enough. There's also this notion that you find the people, they find you for a reason. And, and I yeah. couldn't have found a better mentor than Will. Um, and so he's been someone that's been a steadying force in my life for the past, I mean, this was back in 95 when I started working there. And so he's still a big part of my life. Um, as just leading by example in the way in this crisis, just hearing how he's showing up for, you know, our old, my old trading firm and the people that aren't even working there anymore, but he's really doing what he can to provide them with opportunities. It's, mm. just, it's, it's, it's amazing. It just reminds me there's so much that we have the capacity to do. And to your point earlier, what is, what is your gift that in this time you can give Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not your time. Maybe it's you are a really good guitar player and you can 
yeah. play music for people and you can put it out on your Instagram or whatever. There's just any number of ways. Like just think about what your gift is. For you, there's many gifts, but comedy seems to come up. And, and do you want to speak to actually what you're planning on doing? Yeah, uh, you know, I'd be happy to. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to share my gifts. I, I have what I have. I don't have what I don't have mm. yet. What I do have is my gifts, as we all do. Yet, you know, one of the gifts I have is helping people laugh and bring levity to a, a pretty heavy situation. So, you know, one of my realities is I do a lot of live stand-up comedy shows. That ain't going to happen. For- How many shows got canceled? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, all, all through the summer. So, I mean... Fuck months. Yeah, yeah, months of shows. And, you know, that's a, a relatively sizable portion of my income. And and it, so it's like, okay, like let's look for new business opportunity. But money's never my motivator. My motivator is helping people. So how can I help people bring levity to their lives when they need it the most and even maybe splash into new levels of thinking so I decided I'm going to do a live stream comedy show every Friday night until the quarantine's over. Just, it, it, and I'd love to do this comedy show for a long time, yet also, hopefully it won't have to be a long time. But regardless, I'm in it. I'm committed. I'm going to do this thing I've never done before. I'm going to bring the best gifts that I can. It's going to give people a night out while they're in their living room. I'll be in my living room. I'll be in it with everybody. And it'll be a combination of stand-up comedy, sketch comedy, commentary comedy, corona comedy. Mm. And, and I ask people, think about like Saturday Night Live, except it's called Friday Night Still Alive. <laughs> yes! So, of, course, of course it's got a fucking great title. Yeah. And, Love it. And, you know, it's, it's going to be sloppy. I'll have my videographer there yet. You know, like coronavirus quarantine, there's it's not going to be full production staff. So the the rawness or organicness of it is something real that I think is actually more connective about it. Like, cool, here's me in my living room. And, you know, when stuff goes wrong on the the, the run of the show, like we're going to laugh about that, too. But I'm looking forward to being with everybody for Friday nights until... Um, and until we graduate to something else to do. And, you know, uh, I can give you the link for the show notes. Yeah, uh, that'll be in there for sure. Join in on the Why comedy. don't you say it right now in case people don't want to go to the show notes, but we will link to it. Yeah, man. Uh, you're talking to a guy who's not even astute enough to know what the hell the link is. Perfect. <laughs> so check out the show notes if you want to. It'll be in there. Um, but man, yeah, you know, it's comedy and learning to laugh at what we don't know how to laugh about it it's a gift that i have not in a way that makes it go away but in a way that helps the pain transform where humor can be an alchemist and everybody has their gift just like you mentioned is it playing the guitar for someone or is it a helping hand are you going to the the grocery store and you've got a neighbor across the street maybe they've got small children or maybe they're elderly or in a wheelchair can you call them up and say, hey, can you need, do you need anything? I can leave it on your front porch. We don't even need to cross-contaminate here. Yeah. Um, man, that 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 giving 
matters just as much as any other kind of big artful giving. Mm. Uh, but man, we all have something to give. I guarantee that. And if you don't think you have something to give, you're full of shit. Quit playing the role of the victim. Yes. Receive when you need help and realize you've got something to give. And it feels damn good and damn purposeful to give. It does. And, you know, I think just, I'd love to just mention a few things that I've recognized people doing as a way to give. If you have the means, and, and again, if you're like in the service industry and you're out of work, this would not apply to you, I wouldn't think. But, you know, you think about all the people in your life that are affected the man or woman who cuts your hair, who does yeah. your nails, who does your wax, who does, um, you know, the restaurants you go to, like, like think about, I know some people are buying six months worth of hair appointment gift certificates. Mm. And so it's getting money awesome. in their pocket. It doesn't mean you have to use them right away either. Maybe you use them next year, but you like, you give them like those, if you really are connected to that person and you want to help them, it's a way to put money into their business. Um, and you can do the same for, again, any of these kind of salon type businesses. When you go, you know, for these restaurants that are still open, when you go order food there, if you can over tip, some yeah. people don't tip on takeout. I've never understood that. Like people are still preparing your food. You don't have to tip 20%, but generally takeout orders aren't that expensive. So really be mindful if you have the means yeah. to be super generous there. I mean, these businesses are going to go under if they don't get some help from us. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, I thank you for being a beacon of light and shining that brother. Mm. That, that feels damn good to me. It really does. And I believe it's easy to be a good person when it's easy to be a good person. Yet when it's challenging to be a good person, that's when being a good person makes us grow into a better version of ourselves. And man, we're living in that time. What a great time of opportunity to say yes to the adversity. Like, motherfucker, yeah, I'm tempted to be a little tighter on my, my giving out tips. Or I'm tempted to like screw the neighbors, like, let me get all the toilet paper for myself at the store. Like, we're tempting, yet let us double down and say, like, yeah, I'm going to say, yes, go right into the storm adver of adversity and say, fuck it. I'm being a good person. I'm being kind, no matter what. Even if other people are being selfish at times, we'll see that, hysterical at times, panicky, it's not kind energy, but I'm going to be kind. What a beautiful opportunity to say yes to that adversity. And like, we know, like we were in your weight room, you, the, the resistance makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. The adversity to being a kind person makes us a stronger kind person. So we're living in a time of maximum growth if we choose to say yes to lifting that weight. Or we can fall into the temptation of, no, I'll only be kind when it's really easy to be kind. Mm. That's like saying, I'll lift the fucking weight when it, only when it's a really light weight. Yeah. How strong is that going to make you? Mm. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's, it's how you face, it's how we all face this. 
Um, and again, I want to be very clear. We know that some people are in a really rough spot. It doesn't preclude you from having to finding that kindness. Um, it just may be the thing that helps you through what's going on. Victor Frankl found the currency of kindness in the roughest spot I could possibly imagine. Yeah. Which yeah. I think it, it inspires us like, okay, JP, you can do it. Like he did it. It was 400,000 times worse than what you got. You can do it. Yeah. You know, um, I've spoken a little bit about, you know, m my Zoom call. I, I think it'd be beneficial um, I want to, I want to shout out to my wife, Peyton, who last night, it was Monday of, I don't even know, it was, it was a week ago, <laughs> uh, from when this is going to be aired, but, um, she held a, a women's circle through zoom. And, um, I believe it's something that she's going to do on a regular basis and it's needed, you know, women like my wife who have a tenderness and have an ability to show up for other people and be super grounded is really important. I had a friend, uh, an old college buddy, I hadn't really heard from him since college, which is many years ago. And um, he was on my Zoom call. I said, listen, my wife is kind of having a tough time. Do you know of any women that are doing these things? And so I obviously sent him my wife's information, but I'm curious. I know your your wife Amber is. You know she has a podcast, and yeah. she, I mean that's that's the work she's in is really helping others. She's really yeah. an, an act of service. So I'm curious: is there something you could share with everybody that she's doing, or that she's planning on doing, or you know how can people get more of Amber's medicine? Yeah, you know Amber, she's a very medicinal person. <laughs> she, you know, if, uh, an easy way to connect in with her on Instagram. She's Amber Lee Sears, and one of the beautiful things she's doing—that's just a spark of joy in people's lives. She's doing now a daily dance video, putting it out mm. on all the social medias. And she's inviting people join in, like post your own dance video or just dance along with me. And it's not business strategic. It's mm. yet it's something that's bringing joy to people's lives. Yeah, you know, she's getting incredible engagement with it because it's like, oh, like, wow, we all need that reminder to dance. Like, solid becoming all solitary confinement within ourselves. You know, like we know solitary confinement. It's a form of torture yet dance is the opposite of that so you know she i mean she's a beautiful dancer used to be a professional dancer so that's one of her gifts that reminds people to evoke that same spirit in themselves you know it, at one level it can be physical yet for me like even more importantly the psychological level can we dance psychologically rather than being bound up um so yeah, man, I, I I find Amber super inspiring and she's irresponsible enough. She'll ask me to join her on her dance videos some days. And I've never seen a worse dancer than myself. And awesome. and I don't have enough self-awareness to say no to her. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll dance. I'll look like an idiot. That's fun. Oh, I love well, thanks. Well, that's great. So, you know, both our wives are doing amazing work out there and 
please, if you know, please share in the comments or whatever, if you have, you know, if you're a woman or a man and you have stuff going on, I mean, this is a time for, for leaders in the community to step up and really create a space for people who, you know, where where I was a couple of years ago, where I was disconnected and a bit isolated and being in this scenario would have been torture for me. Yeah. I would have been numbing in many different ways. Um, some of them are looked upon fondly, like working out, but that was a form of numbing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got drinking and stuff like that. And, and that can be a thing that's really beautiful, you know, or it can be something that is escapism and, and numbing as well. And so... Yeah, I just, uh, I encourage anyone to keep back to this, what is your gift and keep sharing it, keep showing up. If you don't feel like you have a group or a brotherhood or sisterhood, then then hop on with what we're doing. There's plenty of room. Um, if we have to upgrade in Zoom, we'll do that. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful offering, brother. I <laughs> love what you're doing, man. Um, I did allude to it earlier with Paul Check and... Um, for those of you who don't know Paul, there's no real way to describe him. I will. <laughs> I'm gonna toss that one to JP because he's actually a student, been a student of of Paul's. Um, and Paul and I were supposed to sit down like April 4th. He was in town for a wedding um, that we were gonna sit down and be on the podcast. Obviously, that's not happening. But um, I would love for you just to share some of your experience with Paul, kind of what he means to you, because he will be a future guest. I have never met him in person. I've learned a ton through his own work and through the work of his students like you and Kyle. Um, And so, and I also heard a little birdie told me, it's actually wasn't a birdie. It's, it's, I'm not going to say his name, but (laughs) someone told me that you were either his favorite student or one of his top students? And can you mm. confirm or deny that? Because that is a fucking, that's a nice thing, nice sachet to have. It is. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, I think that's confirmed. And why is that? Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you this. So the real answer is probably grace. Mm. And and here's a more worded answer that will be more diluted than that one word. <laughs> Perfect. I got into Paul's work when I was 18. I can't believe that was mm. 20 years ago. And at the time, it was VHS tapes that dates me. And I knew Paul as, oh, he's an exercise expert for sports performance and rehabilitation. You know, at the time, I just dropped out of college after a few months, not knowing what the hell I was going to do, but I just knew college wasn't for me. And a trainer at the gym I was at, like, hey, JP, this Paul Check guy, you might be interested. I'd always been into exercise, but never super like ignited by it. So I checked out Paul Check's tapes and I was like, wow, there is a level of intelligence and ability being used with exercise here that I never imagined was mm. possible. So I was hooked took his correspondence courses. And then I, I met him for the first time when I was 20, went to take my first class with him. And man, I was, I was looking at him like a rock star, like, dude, I'm going to, you know, be at the time they were called check practitioners. 
uh, I'm going to be a Czech practitioner my whole life and like the superstar Paul Czech and I'm going to get to meet him here. So I remember the, the morning of the first class, I was sitting there in anticipation, going to meet Paul Czech. I'm nervous. I'm excited. All the things. He walks into the room and the first thing he said out of everybody there, he said, who's J.P. Sears? Uh, so, oh, that's me. And he was just so impressed by the entrance paper I wrote, like why I want to take the class. Something touched him about that. I couldn't tell you what it was, mm-hmm. but I, I can tell you he was touched. And and I was touched by his work already. And then that first uh, course I took with him in person, it was nine days long. And And keep in mind, I was 20 years old, by far the youngest person in the course, by far the least experienced person in the course, yet I showed up the most prepared. Mm. Yet, remember, I'm the least experienced. I like I don't know my ass from my elbow. Mm. But by the end of the course, Paul looked at me and said, he said a couple things. One, he said, one day you'll be teaching my courses for me. Now, like to me, that was like unbelievable at the time. And sure enough, uh, over the next seven years, I trained up and I taught his courses for him for, you know, seven years after after that until I was 33. And uh, then another thing he told me is one day you'll be famous traveling the world. This 20-year-old JP, like, what are you talking about? And I, I couldn't tell you what the hell he saw other than I could tell you he saw. And now, you know, I've got the level of, call it fame, that I'm at. I traveled the world and I'm, you know, at, at this point over 400 million people have seen my videos. You million. need to update because I got 300 million. Yeah, so I'll send a note out to someone. Where's the fucking web guy? I'm going to fire someone over this cow. <laughs> My ego is hurt by that vibe. <laughs> um, you know, I, and I'm gifted to travel the world performing. And so, again, like the cosmic connection with Paul is a little bit mind-baffling. And one thing I also have to say with that, the greatest gift I've ever gotten from Paul, and I've gotten many, the guy is just an alien. Mm. The greatest gift was that moment in the first course I took with them when he looked at me and said, you'll be teaching my courses for me one day because the gift I got was being able to see how he believed in me. It was such an up-leveled belief in JP beyond what I believed in myself at that time, but it modeled it for me. Like, here's this person who there's no one in the world I respect more than him. And seeing the way he believed in me, that taught me to believe in me. It wasn't in an instant where like, okay, download now. I like believe in myself yeah. 100%. But it, it was like a progressive learn my way into it, not intellectually by any stretch. But over the next, I mean, shit, almost 20 years, I've learned my way into that. And man... That's such a great gift. Like now, like 
I can fucking do anything. Yeah. And I do anything my heart is into, even if it scares the hell out of me, even if my mind says, I don't know how, I can't, I shouldn't, but other people do it better. If my heart points at something, I know it's done. Specifically with what my heart points at. You could say, well, JP, you like do a quadruple backflip standing. It's like, my heart's not in that. That's right. So what a great gift. Mm. What a great gift I got from Paul Check. And so, so grateful to, of course, still have him as a, friend and uh, colleague, mentor, just all the things. And yeah, nobody knows how to describe Paul. But that's, that's, got, that's my Paul's story. Yeah. And he, um, oh yeah, he, again, I, I, I haven't had any firsthand experience, but I've heard plenty of secondhand stories about people's experiences with him. Terrible guy. You'll hate him, Cal. Yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> I, I, I was so looking forward to finally getting to, to meet him. But um, I wonder, how did you do in school growing up? Oh, it's uh, so not well. My primary interest in school was making people laugh, making yeah. the teachers laugh, having fun. What sport are we going to play at recess? I, I, I never gave a shat about yeah. school. My senior year of high school, I pride myself that I didn't take homework home even one day. Mm. Um, and I think my senior year, I got all C's. There might, there must have been some D's in there. <laughs> and, and then, it, it, so it's like cool. Like I, I just don't care. And then those three months I went yeah. to college, failed all my classes. That scared me. I thought, like, do I have a learning disability? Uh-huh. Am I just going to end up cleaning the underside of horse penises my whole life? Like, <laughs> yeah. looking back, you know, <laughs> thinking, like, do I have a learning disability? Now I realize I have the ability to have an inability to learn about things that don't feel purposeful to me. First thing that ever felt purposeful for me to learn about was the Paul Check material. And and I was just on fire. I was digesting it. I could study all day. And like I mentioned, shit, I, I showed up for that first class, the youngest one, but the best prepared. So I, I look at that as a gift now, because if I don't feel purposeful about something, I, I'll say the word, I can't learn about it, which means I don't waste my time. But more importantly, I don't waste my purpose on shit that's not purposeful for me so well it, I didn't do good in school well it, it you it would it's almost as if I had the answer written out you actually just made it even better than I would have even anticipated but that's exactly what I thought was the case and it's almost like for me it's a PSA for parents out there mm. okay now whatever your metrics and measures of success are, I think it'd be hard to argue with the level of success that you've been able to achieve. And I'm not talking about necessarily the 400 million views. I'm talking about living in your purpose when you were 18 years old, finding something that you lost time in studying. You weren't studying, you were learning and you just in, 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 I think there's so 
much well, they're well-intentioned parents, but you all are fucking this up because you're not <laughs> listening to your kids. Yeah. The school systems, and I don't, I'm not saying we have it figured out by having one who's homeschooled. We have our kids in all different schools. What I'm saying is listen to your kids. If they like JP don't do good in school, maybe it's because they also have the inability to feel like they can learn something that they are completely uninspired to learn about. And if we're being honest and we're having honest conversation about what kids are being taught in school, I don't want my kids to go back to school the rest of the year. I want them to just hang out, have vacation. Because honestly, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Don't tell me about the math and the, you need a, you need a requisite level of that stuff. But, sure. you know, our son had, a, a, has an opportunity to go to a school here in Austin and it's set up in a way in the afternoon, you get to basically set your schedule for what you want to do. And he loves technology. He loves playing video games. He loves creating stuff. He is the very example of getting lost Fuck, I mean, you can never imagine this, but if anyone's familiar with Minecraft, he mined like 19,000 blocks to be able to create this create this thing. It was like 12 hours. And you may say to yourself, well, you're a fucking bad parent for allowing him to do that. He felt alive yeah. and he lost time. And what that tells me is this is what my son needs. He doesn't need to be spending his entire school days learning about history and yeah, it, it, it's again, no offense to anyone. This is just my feelings on this, but you bring up your great example, JP. And listen, I went to a great college. I went to Amherst college. It's one of the top schools. I didn't study. I took the easiest major I could because there was no final paper. It was just take eight <laughs> English classes and you get a BA in English. Fucking sign me up. The hard part was getting in. But what have I taken from that education, from what I learned there? Honestly, fucking nothing. Yeah. Okay, what did I learn? I got out, I was an English major. I got hired to be a trader, which is all numbers. I did really well there because I was pretty good with numbers, but... I was in my essence. Mm. I loved it when the chips were down. I could do well under pressure. Sometimes I did buckle, but oftentimes it was when I, that's how I rose to the occasion. And so I went through a period when I didn't, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I released, I had the idea to do the podcast a year ago that I started to really feel that purpose again. And I actually, I skipped over when I was involved with the National Pro Grid League, a pro fitness league, and I was running the Phoenix team. That was another time where I really felt alive. Hmm. But what I've felt, and it was literally like almost the day, it was certainly the week that I, that I launched the podcast finally, my whole life has changed. I've never been as inspired about anything and never had as clear a vision about what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've spoken about this before, but this whole Joe Dispenza idea that I'm living my, my current state, my current reality, 
I'm enjoying the fruits of what's going to happen in the future. I see it. I know it's going to happen. And that's going to land a little bit weird for a lot of you maybe, but, and it did for me forever. But for now, I just know what I'm supposed to be doing. And when, when there's a, a pivot that needs to happen, I mean, we're able to podcast, but I had to cancel a lot of podcasts over the last couple of weeks. It's fine. Luckily, I have a bunch in the queue, but even if I don't, then I will go to video and do a Zoom deal. But I'm seeing this is an opportunity for me to step into this role as a leader with other men and bring in other men that are leaders and really co-create with whoever these groups of people who can rise into the occasion when, again, is this are we on house arrest or is this an opportunity for us to use technology in a really beautiful way and not the shadow side? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, a very long winded way of saying, thank you. I'm so glad you answered that the way you did, because that's yeah. that. I just want, I want people to just start paying. That's the other thing about this school. They, they, they sat us down. We're a fucking minute into the intro and they're like, in a really nice way, but very fucking direct. They were not mincing words. Like, your opinion does not matter. We're listening to your son. Wow. Okay. And so whatever you tell them, they come to us. We're going to ask if it's coming from them or from mom and dad. We don't care. It's not about you. That's cool. Oh my God. I'm like, this is the place I want to go here. I want to learn because what they do is they really compress the learning. They use some technology so that the classes are 25 minutes a day. So in the morning, they do all the kind of the core stuff. And then the afternoon is if you want to learn about technology in whatever way you set it up, and then they have guides that help you with it. And yeah. so without, I won't, it's called Alpha. So I'll, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's phenomenal. I'm so excited. I'm an evangelist right now. My kid doesn't even <laughs> go there right now, but they will go there in the fall. And so I'm super excited about that because I think it is so aligned with the way that my kids learn. And um, I'm grateful for, for whoever started the school for having the vision that things need to be changed in something that, you know, again, I don't know how this is going to sit with everyone, but here's my thoughts. I hope that this, this, um, quarantine that we're going through when kids aren't able to go to school. I hope it shows moms and dads, like, is it really that important? You know, or are we able to show kids, demonstrate like real transferable life skills in moments like this that they would never learn in school and never learn in the books? And can we pull ourselves out of that and go back to the way our ancestors used to learn I mean, this whole system, I don't want this to be a diatribe on how this school system was set up and what's behind it, but it doesn't need to be fixed. In my opinion, it needs to be decimated and started over. And so love it or hate it, that's how I feel about it. And I hope this opens up the awareness for people that, you know, it's really only one part of a kid's education. Yeah, well... I love your passion and <laughs> big passionate there. What, what I think I heard you say is you're passionate about kids having the freedom to find their purpose and not having a self-imposed agenda 
from parents, schools, about what that child's purpose is, because that takes away the right to their own life. And and that's what I think I heard you say. It's a beautiful way to really pull out the nugget is like to have to back to your point about sovereignty, like these kids, they're, they're no offense, mom and dad. They're not a reflection of you. They're not a little version of you. They're their own little souls. We are responsible for them. We're responsible in the, the behavior that we model because they're paying attention but we're not doing it so they become versions of us. And fortunately, my wife and I have let go of that a long time ago. And we've seen it in the way our kids are stepping into their own. And it's not without skinning knees and fucking things up. It's for sure. But as we talked about this entire fucking episode, that's the only way they learn, you know? And so we're, we're giving them enough space to fuck up and find out, but also setting a little bit of a container so they know that they're safe and that they're loved and that whatever feels is coming up for them is what they want to do. Like, let's go do it. Like our oldest, like you don't want to go to college or you don't want to go right after high school. You don't have to. We're not going to support you financially and let you be a deadbeat, but we want you to figure out if that's the path or not for you. Don't go to college because I went to college and your mom did like go because you're really inspired to do it. Yeah. And I, I don't have kids, so I know less about parenting than anybody. So that makes me an expert at parenting. Yes. You probably know more than some parents. No offense. You know, I, I know that I don't know yet. One thing I do think that I know is, easy for me to say because I'm not a parent. Parents don't know their child's purpose. If you do think you know, you're probably living through your child. My my child's meant to get a college education. My child's meant to grow up and do great things by your fucking standards because you're trying to live through them. It, which is, it's in a way, it's it's teaching your child to audition for your approval, audition for you validating your on purpose instead of them actually living on their true purpose. And the the late, great Carl Jung, he was mm. a psychiatrist, died in, I believe, 1963. A quote of his, it's so powerful and nobody wants to hear it if you're doing it. If you feel an emotional charge here. I was just going to say, how is any of this <laughs> sitting with, is anybody getting crunched up yeah. and like, because... That's information, folks. It's either Cal and JP are complete assholes, (laughs) which are still out. Yep. Or it means this says something about you and your shadow that you have the opportunity to deal with. Carl Jung's quote is, the greatest burden a child must bear is the unlived life of the parent. Because the parent tries to impose that life on the child, which means to the degree that the child does not rebel yet consents to it, the child's not able to live its own life. So I could just imagine having a child. The hardest thing I could imagine in that scenario is giving birth that (laughs) hearing my wife scream while she gives birth (laughs) man my ears hurt babe (laughs) but having the the humbleness to surrender what you and peyton have done and realizing this this being is its own being 
I don't know his or her purpose. They don't even know that yet. They need the freedom to discover it. They need the support to have the freedom to discover it. It's not, let's abandon. It's not apathy, Nor is exactly. it, let's overwhelm. It's, let's support them and their life, not only support them living my life that I want them to live. Yeah, Carl Jung, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's. I think that's perfectly stated. It's... It's um, what is in, and if you're curious, if maybe this is what you want to do, I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little sweetener in there for you parents out there. It actually makes parenting a lot easier because you're no mm. longer trying to control all the things they're doing to again make them a little model of what you think they're supposed to be and all that bullshit. Now, y- again, it's not apathy. You're not just completely hands off. Yeah. You're setting a container. There's safety. There's there. You're, you're just showering them with love, and to let them know that their instincts. This is another thing. I just what came to me. And my wife Peyton is amazing at at drawing these things out. But so many kids, and I've done this too. So I'm not I'm not pointing fingers here. I've done this. I don't do it anymore. But. You go see someone, maybe it's your family and the uncles and, hey, you know, my 12-year-old daughter, go give uncle so-and-so a hug. And they're just like, they're they're not yeah, feeling it. Yeah. And why are they not feeling it? It's not necessarily because he's a child molester or whatever, but you override their, their intuition, their instincts that I don't want to. Yeah. And so... Think about the ways where we force, we guilt our kids into go say hi to grandma, go give grandma a big hug and a kiss. And when your grandma's a bitch, you know, and it's like, you just continue to go into that. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, go, go violate yourself so that you can, you know, meet their expectations. So that socially every, no one feels uncomfortable. Like, no, listen to your kids. If they don't want to go play with that kid or they don't want to spend, like, listen because when 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 you challenge that and you override it, we stop as children, we stop trusting ourselves. Mm. And then when we do that, we all know what happens. We're looking for approval everywhere, not just mom and dad, but with friends in other ways. And again, we're, we we lose that autonomy, that sovereignty. We lose our our connection to our innate knowing. And it's really, I mean, it's, that's our polygraph, that, that gut that tells you everything. And I think it's really bred out of us, conditioned out of us, not on purpose. We're trying, we don't want to make anyone feel bad. We don't want to make uncle Larry feel uncomfortable because your daughter doesn't want to give him a hug or your son doesn't like, it's not time to hug him. Yeah. You know, we can, we can keep our, our distance. Cal, why does the uncle always have to be the creepy one? It's a great question. The ants, the ants, you know, they have a great rap, but there's some, you know. <laughs> Women can be creepy too. It's just ants, fair. You're guilty. I don't, I, you know, I only want to speak. I don't even, I shouldn't even say speak from experience because that's not true either. <laughs> okay. I want to, I want to finish with um, another mutual friend of ours. And um, for lack of a better term, I'd say he's a bit on the fringe for a lot of people, but but not for you and I. Um, a friend of ours by the name of Paul Selig, mm-hmm. who 
Um, certainly linked to in the show notes. I was supposed to have a podcast with him when he came into town when we were both at his weekend here in Austin, um, but he was not feeling well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that I think about it, I wonder if he had any type of version of, of what's going around because he was down and out the entire week. Yeah, um, maybe he started the whole damn thing. The motherfucker. Jesus, Paul. Not so much my friend anymore. <laughs> this feels scientifically true because we just said it. <laughs> it must be true. We both agree. We have a microphone. Um, but Paul is a, I guess he'd be considered a medium to the living. Is that how we? I think so. Yeah. I don't want to, if I messed that up, I apologize, Paul, but. But we've been at Aubrey Marcus's house and Paul's given um, his kind of, uh, not performance isn't the right word, but when he channels, okay, when Paul channels and what Paul does, he gets into a state and he has guides that speak to him on various things. And again, this is going to be odd for maybe a lot of people, but um, just open I would I would encourage you to just be open minded and be curious about this because I've had three personal readings with Paul and it's either Paul has said exactly what's been going on with me or Paul has um predicted Paul and his guides have predicted quite accurately what's about to unfold for mm-hmm. me with with remarkable accuracy um and so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your experience with Paul and how, I know he's been on your podcast, but you guys have a relationship as well. And so what, what have you pulled for, um, from that relationship that's really helped you, you know, kind of step into your being? Yeah, man. Uh, great things. And, you know, Paul's weird as hell, you know, channeling spiritual guides as well as channeling, like connecting in, I believe might be termed like your higher self and speaking that wisdom to your lower self that's listening to Paul during personal readings. I believe that's an amateur way to describe what Mm. happens. And anytime I've had a personal reading with them, it thumps me right in the heart. And the interesting thing is it's, it's usually him saying something very simple it's not like some fortune cookie thing, like, oh, you've been through challenges. and mm. But it's something very specific to me, yet I find there's often greater power in the simple. And, man, it, it's been super impactful. I remember the first reading I had with them was, oh, man, maybe six months after I started doing live comedy shows. And it was on my live on my podcast and he said, Oh, I'm happy to do a reading, but just, I don't filter. I said, cool. Uh, I'm an open book. I'm willing to be scared. Let's go. And, and, and my question for him was something along the lines of what's a blind spot I have that I would benefit from addressing. And what, what came up was he told me, you know, first off, you compare yourself to other people and you pretend like you don't compare yourself to other people. And I said, yeah, certainly guilty as charged. (laughs) Now, of course, everybody compares themselves to anybody that can apply to anybody. Yet that, that, that was so right on for me because it liberated me so much. Once I could see that blind spot 
of when I'm comparing, and at the time I was really comparing myself to other comedians, Mm -hmm. and Paul shared with me, that's holding you back. That's keeping you on a trampoline where you're just going up and then down, up and then down, up and then down, instead of up, 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 and up. He said, JP, you stand on your own landscape. Quit, Quit comparing yourself. So... That felt so liberating that to this day, anytime I'm doing a comedy show before I go on stage, I'm back in the green room and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I say those words to me. I said, JP, you're not here to compare yourself to anybody. You're here to stand on your own landscape. And I go through that ritual because it liberates me and it reminds me because I think here's one of the reasons why I needed to hear that. My style of doing comedy, I I sometimes call it like I'm a conscious comedian. It's different than any comedian I've ever seen. And I don't say that to be self-righteous. Like, dude, I'm like such a pioneer. (laughs) It's just so, it's different. And so I'd catch myself comparing myself to other comedians. Like I'd listen to all these guys on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. You know, he's a world-class comedian, all these comedian friends who have a very different route into the comedy world and a different, very different expression of comedy. So I'd compare myself to that, be like, well, I'm not like that. And like, ugh, that was keeping me down. But once I fucking took the chains of comparison off, and stop comparing myself to other comedians, how they did it, how they came up, how they expressed themselves, what they do comedy on. It just became so, so liberating where I could be more in my sovereignty and say yes to what wants to live through me rather than being mildly constipated and constricting wants to come through me thinking, well, I should be expressing myself like other people. It's like, no, my poop should be my poop. Let's let it out. So, man, it was so impactful. And then, you know, the most recent time he was in town, he, it was towards the end of the the workshop. I think you had left at that point. My son had a basketball game, so (laughs) it wasn't out of anything. Cal's afraid of doing the self-work, so he left. (laughs) Don't use excuse. No, but I asked him because I had a download at uh, Tony Robbins' State with Destiny. I am to do go back to offering transformational events. Still do comedy events. Yet, in addition, I am to do transformational events. Yes, I'll be funny, yet it'll be sincere, like show up for a day of transformation. And yet, I was so clear on that. And insecurities, because like it's a new thing. Like before I was doing comedy, I was doing transformational events, life coaching, yet this is going to be a new thing. It's a way bigger scale. I'm a different person than I was way back then. So I asked Paul, uh, you know, do a reading. Here's what I'm looking to do. I'm going to be doing transformational events. My heart's guiding me to that. Is there anything I need to hear to help me do that with grace? And he you know, goes into mm. reading my higher self. And he said, let yourself be the biggest idiot in the room. Mm. So much liberation again, because I was going through this rigidity. Like I need to, okay, if I'm doing trips, I need to be more serious. Is it? Yeah. It's like, no, 
that caps what you have to offer. Yeah. Don't be rigid. Let yourself be the biggest idiot in the room. And those exact words, they cut in and hit my bullseye. Let yourself be the biggest idiot in the room, which in other words, gives me full permission to be me, not <laughs> yes. be serious, not, okay, now you need to be like Tony Robbins, not need, need to be like Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Like, no, let yourself be the biggest idiot in the room. And those words just hit my bullseye so well. I can't explain it, but so much liberation I feel inside. So, you know, as I rattle on about my Paul Selig benefits mm. that I've got from his work, um, I, I have to say, like, I'm I'm a fan of him as a person. Mm. He's such a dear human. And I'm such a fan of the potency of the work that that human offers. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And again, part of the reason I bring him up is I, I want just like a little appetizer version for my listeners so that when he comes on, there's a little bit of context for it. Um, and it's not just me some talking about some crazy stuff. Yeah. Just both of us talking about crazy stuff. But, and, and I'll share, and I won't go into all of it, but I'll share kind of my experience with him that was really profound. Like, as I was um, going through this kind of, kind of an awakening, um, you know, it probably started two and a half years ago and just trying, just really seeing the world differently and just like questioning everything and not understanding what I was doing, just really... Um, going without knowing and mm -hmm. not being able to explain it, which as you can imagine can really alienate those who love you, whether it's your wife or your friends, because you can't explain what's going on, but you're just doing, I'm just, I'm just going. And some of it was, you know, plant medicines and, and, and different things that were very foreign to these, you know, to my friends and, and to Peyton. And I didn't, so I didn't have the language around what was going on, but I just knew I had to do the work. And uh, he said to me, without knowing any of this, he said, it's like um, you're carrying this box, this box with all the, your things, all the things you know, all your stuff. And the box gets upset and there's nothing left in the box. And that was like all, that was basically all, it's like almost like all the conditioning. It's all mm. the ideas of who I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to show up. And he said, what happens is you're going to have a few things left in the box. And then he changed the metaphor as he often does. He's like, it's actually, it's, it's more, he goes, you're, you're panning for gold and you have all this stuff and you're shaking it out and there's going to be a few nuggets. That's it. It's not like you're going to have, you're going to be reading all this stuff and, you're going to be trying to remember it, but you're not going to because it's all seems different. But eventually, as you're going to see, it's all the same. It's mm. going to be a few of these nuggets. And boy, if that wasn't true, like everything now, I see everything coming down to a few simple kind of ideas about, you know, uh, but allowing things to be as they are and just witnessing them versus trying to put my judgment on. It's not that I don't do that still, but I know that when I'm connected to my heart and I can just see things as they are. Um, but the other thing he said was, he goes, you know, it's like you're, you know, when you've been swimming for a long time and it, the, the, the metaphor for me wasn't great because I'm a I can't really swim, but it's like, okay, I get like people who swim, yep, you're in the water for a long time and you wash up on the shore 
and you're exhausted. You just have this big sigh of relief because you've been in the water for so long and you're finally washed up on the shore and you're exhausted. And, and this was a period when I was disconnected from kind of my old tribe and I was being um, supported by my Austin brothers and just unsure about how everything was going to be playing out. He said, you know, you're going to wash up on the shore and you're going to look around and you're going to be, you're going to be surrounded by your people. Hmm. Because I think it's kind of weird. I just get this thing where you're just going to, yeah, you're just going to be like, Hey, let's go, let's go build something. And you're like literally going to go like build a house. And what came to me three weeks ago is that very thing that there's something and I'll, I'm just not, I'm going to tease to it right now, but we're going to build something here in Austin that is very much, will have a structure to it, hmm. but it will be a community based space. And I'm going to build it with my people and it's going to be kind of like an anti Soho, you know, house and stuff like that. It's going it, to, it's, I just see, I just see the vision so clearly of building this with my brothers and sisters and having it be a place where our people, when they come into town, they go there. Like Porangi comes into town, mm. he goes and he plays, maybe he plays a set there, but he also, we're all hanging out there together. We're all sharing space. It's a buddy of mine has, who there's been like four or five people who have been kind of downloading on this. He's like, yeah, it's like San Francisco back in the day where they would meet and they would just, you know, like-minded people do share ideas like the beatniks and, and just create these spaces for people that is not centered around bars and booze. And yeah. um, it's a kind of, a, I don't like to use the word conscious, but it's like that, right? It's like a conscious community that's really trying to kind of figure some things out. And um, it becomes a place, a hub for that. And yeah. so when people come into Austin, it becomes a place where we can all go and share space and we can hear a musical performance or a comedian or any other, you know, I, I see there being live podcasts where you and I would sit there and then we take questions from the crowd and it could just be this beautiful, again, gathering place for the community. Yeah, and so anyway, this was like, I, we started to flush this out and I was like, motherfucker, Paul told me about this. And yeah. again, you don't have to believe it, not believe it. But for me, it was like, this is already preordained. And so yeah. it's happening. And there can be great relief when like the, just a super simple term, when we get out of our own way, you know, like when, when we're not pooping, it's, it's, like nature wants to poop. Like that's the natural way it expressed through us. But when we're not pooping, we oftentimes need to ask ourselves, well, what are we doing to make ourselves constipated? We stress, like, what are we doing? And, you know, and I like our expectations psychologically, I think, constipate us. Our expectations of how things are supposed to be oftentimes constipate how they're meant to be. And a reading with Paul Selig or getting really centered and present within ourselves and any of the ways possible, it to me, it helps relieve the constriction of constipation, the expectations, the shoulds, the how it should be, and the relief of, oh, how it's meant to be. And I don't know exactly how it's meant to be until it's expressing 
through me in the moment. That to me is such a beautiful experience and is something amongst other ways, you know, a powerful way we get, you, know, you know, Paul Selig's work. Yeah. And, and I think it speaks to what we were saying earlier with this, you know, this illusion of certainty that we have. And so then we have this idea of how things are supposed to play out. It's not that you don't plan. You do, you plan, you do that, all that stuff. But, you know, again, to, to bring up Joe Dispenza, but you, you surrender, you give up the how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Yeah. And you just trust into, you know, I, I gifted you this book, uh, The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life by Boyd Vardy. You know, it's, it's all about staying on your path, like finding the next first track for you. And when you mm. do that, when you stay true to what is, what feels aligned for you and you can't not take that step because it's so aligned then all of a sudden you're not looking at a goal in the at the in the in the distance and you're trying to get there. And I think a lot of times we make the mistake of saying, I want to make a million dollars, so I'm gonna go towards it like in this way, versus what makes me feel most alive? How can I stay anchored in that, stay present in that, stay connected to the heart in that, and just wait for the next the next track to show up to inform me and just, mm. and then as men, I think the challenge is to stay in that patience yeah, and just to let time pass for that next track to show. And I mean, again, I'm mixing, bringing all my teachers together, but I think it, it, it really, for me, it's really worked. Yeah, And the patience I think is probably the greatest of all is just, just surrendering to like having to have it happen now and having that, um, that extra pressure because it it would lead me down different paths that weren't aligned because I had this notion that I had to be doing something. I have to be yeah. creating. Look at what, back to the comparison, look what he's doing, look what she's doing. I need to be doing this. I'm not doing anything. I'm not a man. You know, all the, that language around that. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to diving into the Lion Trekker's Guide to Life and bringing in another teacher, just what you've said about this, it reminds me so much of the teacher named Forrest Gump. Mm. We look at his life in hindsight. He achieved all these amazing things. The guy became a multimillionaire businessman. Uh, he became a war hero. He became a ping pong world champion. Became an all-American football player. Uh, he became a father with that whore Jen Jenny. <laughs> he could have done better. I that's it. Anyway, she was a nectar. Oh my god! I'm just god. saying what everybody's like. So <laughs> we look at his life in hindsight. All these amazing things. Forrest didn't plan any of it. He took. He's where he was at in any given time. He would take one step forward at a time. No more. He didn't try to take, what's 10 steps from now? He didn't try to take 10 steps. And as you, you alluded to, nobody can take 10 steps. The mind tries to go there, but the feet can only go to the next step. So, uh, you know, someone says, do you want to join the army? Okay. That was the next step. Do you want to play football? Okay. That was the next step. And then as step after that in football, step after that in football. And, you know, uh, Bubba had the idea to mm. start the Bubba Gump Bubba Shrimp Gump. Company. Okay, did mm. that. And 
then he prematurely ejaculated when Jenny took her shirt off. Yeah, uh, boobs. Uh, but so much wisdom. And, and I love Forrest Gump as a teacher because he was someone who was too dumb to be in his head at a literal level. They talk about his yes. IQ. He was so dumb. He had no choice but to live in his heart. Yes. A lot of us are so smart that we're dumb. We yes. smart ourselves. We live in this intellectual place instead of this place of wisdom called our heart. And oh, I think Forrest Gump modeled the heartfelt way of living where he would, he would be where he was at and he would go one track ahead. It sounds like the, yes. the lion's per- That's perfect. Yes. That, that, I, I love the paradox of us being so fucking smart that we're dumb. Oh, it's and I, dumb. it's yeah. perfect. And he has the, the brain, the mind shut off. And so he just leads with the heart. And don't confuse this with just saying yes to everything. Oh, yeah, that, that's he, pretty dumb, too. Yeah, that's super dumb. What's your heart say? It's go back to this has been a, a running thread through this podcast. It's like, how does it feel? Does it open you up? Then take the step. Does it make you cringe because it's not aligned? Then don't do it. Does it make you cringe because it makes you scared? Well, then that's an, that's more information. So... But I also think what's interesting in, in the in the staying on the next track is the, almost the corollary to that is don't rest on the laurels of what you've already achieved. And yeah. I think Jesse Itzler, are you familiar with his yeah. work at all? Yeah. So Jesse's accomplished, you know, by by all means a ton in different areas. I'm not just saying by building these businesses like Marquee Jets and is it Zyko Coconut Water? I forget which one it is, but yeah, one of them. You know. His whole thing is the fucking bus is moving. They don't care what I did yesterday. And it's like, God damn it. I, I you know, I, that resonates. You know, I had yeah. a successful trading career that allowed me um, some financial freedom and flexibility. And there are times where I've leaned on that. And it's, it's the only thing it does is hold me back. It, yeah. If you buy into that bullshit and rest on those laurels, then it only kind of constricts what you want to do because you don't want to, you know, I wasn't, I don't want to do something and fuck up because I had this successful thing that I'm leaning on. It's like when I hear Jesse speak, it's like, fuck all that. It doesn't matter. That was a thing I did that created this thing and it created opportunities for sure and bandwidth for me to really dive into these other things and for me to have a podcast that cost me money, you know, which is a great example to the kids. Like, see, like you can... Do things that actually cost you money to, to you working yeah. for yourself, yeah. you know, but um, I think it's also important to let go of those things that you've done and keep the train moving forward. Yeah. And, and I think the fruits of what you've done, the real fruits will always be with you because we, you know, like in the pursuit of the goal or the accomplishment, real gift is who you become in the process. So you, you know, achieving, you know, beautiful levels of financial freedom and in, in business, like awesome. Instead of thinking about that and fucking like, that's how awesome I am. It's like, no, who you became while doing that is still with you. But to, to rest on the laurels, for me, that's like letting this more amazing, potent version of you just sit on the couch. He's like, no, I've never been better trained to go accomplish more, not in the productivity sense, but in the purposeful Mm -hmm. sense. 
So it's like, I think we owe it to ourselves to keep going for sure. And that's why I, you know, so many people have the experience if they actually do accomplish the big goal, but don't have the next thing set, they can get really depressed because they, we, we find out real fast, oh, resting on the laurels, that ain't fulfilling. Like doing the fucking thing in the first place, it's fulfilling on the journey. But once we, I mean, some things do become a destination. They're meant to be left behind. But if we try to stay there, it's like, it's not fulfilling. It's empty. We, we need to go forward. I, I think we always want to grow. I think if we look at the macrocosm, of course, be cliche, we learn about the microcosm of ourselves. So the universe is always expanding. We know that based on people smarter than me. Yeah, right. The universe is always expanding. So if we didn't know any better, we would believe that's our nature too, mm. to always be expanding. Mm. And when we allow nature to take its course, awesome. We feel good. We feel on purpose. Uh, we have our challenges for sure. And it's we're still on a great trajectory. We're fulfilled. Yet when we don't allow our true nature to live through us, when we don't allow ourselves to expand, because maybe we're resting on our laurels, it's like, oh, shit, made it through that one. But like, that was scary. Let's not risk failure again, because now I can like fucking cash out and call myself a success. Uh Then we become the universe that's not willing to expand. Like, by the way, good luck winning over nature. So Mm. all we're doing is living in a field of resisting what we can't possibly win against. And that's why I think we suffer when we're unwilling to expand. Expansion, it's uncomfortable, but it ain't suffering. Yeah, I think suffering is the discomfort that arises by avoiding the discomfort that comes with our nature of expansion. Mm. I think that's a perfect one to end on, brother. Mm. I'm glad. You know, it's so funny. Just we've this has been in the works for fucking months yeah right and honestly this couldn't have been more perfect this was amazing it was so great to have you here um just the setting and very topical Um, there goes one of the cameras (laughs) perfect so we'll close out there um we'll link to all your information in the show notes but feel free to say it now where can people find you yeah, all my, you know, my website, awakenwithjp.com, uh, all my social media, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook uh, is Awaken with JP. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thank you for having me, Cal. You bet. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, please check out the show notes or head on over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events and retreats. If you liked what you heard today, click subscribe and share this with friends that might enjoy our platform. Please leave a five-star rating in iTunes as this really helps us spread our message. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BunkerCal and on Facebook as John Callahan. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn and we'll talk soon.